Well, good morning, Providence Baptist Church. Well, it's wonderful to have the privilege of preaching God's word to you this morning. Thankful to Blair Waddell, y'all's pastor, who uh, as a fellow pastor in the area was a, a pastor to me, and I'm so thankful for him and, and the time that we've spent the past month visiting. It's obvious y'all have really godly leadership in this church, and so uh, y'all are very blessed, and I'm being thankful again for the opportunity to preach God's word. Um, so if you would just please bow with me as I pray for the preached word of God. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful that we get to open up your word. I pray, Lord, as we hear your word, Lord, that you've already prepared our hearts for what your word says. Lord, for those who don't know you that, have been, that are here today, I pray that, Lord, you'll convict them of their sin and tr- that they will, you'll lead them to repentance and faith in you. Pray for those who are here, Lord, as members, as, as Christians, Lord, you will build up the body. And uh, you will lead us in continual repentance and conformity to the image of your Son. I pray for, uh, as I uh, speak, Lord, that everything I say is in line with your word. I do not drift to the left or to the right, but Lord, properly divide the word of God. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's now springtime. That means things are in bloom. It means gardening. There's so much you can learn from a garden. Working a garden is, as many of us know, is hard work. Landscaping is beautiful toils, many of you know from yesterday working at the church here. But when you're done, you look at it and you observe its beauty. You look at the flowers, you look at the butterflies flowing to and fluttering to and fro, you smell the, the fresh mulch that gives the garden or landscape a, a clean look. What makes gardening like this difficult work, though, is so, not so much the, the starting or planting of it, but the maintaining of it. Certain plants come in literally overnight. Weeds. If you neglect, neglect a garden for just a few days, it can take over. You can be taken over by weeds. So garden requires continual maintenance, not to mention keeping rabbits and, and deer away. So you have to keep pulling weeds, spraying them, and sometimes you have to put netting around the plants to keep the critters away. Well, the spot of the garden was the first habitat of these invaders. Weeds and grass were first growing there. Critters were running to and fro freely. But the garden, the garden is a new creation. This garden must be maintained daily. Gardens don't keep their beauty through neglect. They don't drift to beauty, they drift to to chaos. The old inhabitants may be dead, but they keep coming back. If you're a new creation, you are, if you're a Christian, you are a new creation of God. Your old self, your original self died when you came to faith in Christ. You are a new person. You are a new garden, if you will. But this garden requires maintenance. The old habitat, as Paul explains for us, the old man creeps in daily. 
The weeds of the old man pop up quickly. The critters of the old self sneak in through the fence. And this old man, this old dead man must be put back in his coffin daily. Our old life of sin was put to death, but sin always is creeping around the corner of our lives. So what must we do? How do we do battle against this? Well, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul instructs us here on the battle between the old and the new self in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. So please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 17 through 32. Now the letter to the Ephesians shows us God's cosmic plan to redeem his people, the church. The church is not God's plan B. It was his plan before the foundation of the world to create a new humanity consisting of redeemed Jews and Gentiles called the church. And if you are in Christ, you are plan A, not plan B in God's plan. And Paul begins this letter with an explanation of how God did this. He took spiritually dead human beings and made them alive. And then the second part of this letter shows how God is currently working in the church today. In this text this morning, we'll look at God's progressive work in his people through the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and the reshaping of his people into the image of his Son. So in Ephesians 4, 17-32, we will see the recreation from the old self, the recreation to the new self, and then we'll see how we properly do battle by the enablement of the Holy Spirit. First, the recreation from the old self. Look at verses 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Now notice the beginning statement here. Paul emphatically states that these these members of this church should no longer live their lives as Gentiles. He says essentially, I and as God is my witness say. He's stating it plainly, as, as plainly and as emphatically as he can do. But hold on. Aren't the ones he is writing to Gentiles? The recipients of the letter of Ephesians is predominantly a Gentile church. So, I mean, a Gentile, simply put, is just someone who is not Jewish, right? Does he mean that they should become Jewish? Well, we know from the letter to the Galatians that this cannot be the case. Now, what is he talking about here? 
It's their former lives as Gentiles, as godless, pagan, and immoral sinners. They're to live as Christians now. Now, this is not, hey, you bad people, straighten up and be good now. No, that's, that's not Christianity. That's empty moralism. No, Christianity is Christ dying and rising for the penalty of our sins and then us believing that he did this on our behalf. And we are declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus alone. This faith, however, leads to a changed life. It leads to a reformed life, a life of Christ-like obedience. Anyone who says they are a Christian yet continually and unrepentantly lives like a pagan is not a Christian. So what is Paul getting at here? Well, he commands us as Christians to put to death the old man that creeps in in all of us. Now, we have been declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus alone. However, practically speaking, we have a practical unrighteousness that seeps into our lives if we leave it unchecked. And it's an everyday battle. Sin does just go away in this life. The sins, though, yet you once lived in and loved as Gentiles, it now becomes a struggle, a battle. You weren't in battle before, but now you are in a battle. Why is this a big deal? Well, Paul continues to describe this former life. He said that you walked in the futility in mind. You were aimless in your life. You walked only to please yourself, and that was your only goal in life. So don't say, that was never me. I have been a Christian my whole life. No, you haven't. Until you realize your utter hopelessness of self-salvation, you can't be saved. Until you realize, Lord, I am doomed living as I have lived, you cannot be saved. You have to realize that you are a sinner in need of salvation. He goes on, he describes their lives as Gentiles, darkened into understanding, ignorant of righteousness in God. We were far from God. We were ignorant, why? Because of the hardness of our hearts. Our condemnation was all our fault. Every person that is going to hell, it is all on them. You and I were ignorant because we wanted to be. The stubbornness and the rebellion of our will. And because of this, look at verse 19. We were calloused, hardened, stubborn and gave ourselves over to our passions and our greed we did what we wanted when we wanted it and we didn't care about who we hurt we practiced sexual sin we did everything according to selfish interests so we can't say that's not me or you that's that's all of us we look into our heart of hearts that is all of us And it may have varied with different degrees with all of us, but it's still a characteristic, it was still characteristic of all of us. And that's the key word, was. Not is, it was a past reality, not current. But look at what Paul interjects here in verse 20. He yells in a way, that's not how you learned Christ. Essentially, Christ saved you from this life. He, He died and rose to save you from this pit 
of the sinful life. That's the old, that's the dead man, the filthy dead corpse, the Ephesians 2, 1 corpse. Paul continues this long sentence showing what we did learn from Christ. And all that proceeds from him, as we see in verse 21, is the truth, for he is the truth. We learn to put off the old self, the old ways, the corrupt living that is permeated with deceit and self-preserving lives. You learn from Christ that you were a sinner in need of a Savior. You learn from his law, which he proclaimed, which he expounded upon, that every aspect of our lives is tainted with sin, and we needed a Savior. And if you're a Christian, you believed this Savior that God provided. And in belief, you shed the dead skin of the former life. And you continually, by the power of the Holy Spirit, keyword, continually put to death the deadly habits. But it's not just the taking off of old clothes, not just the negative, but there's a putting on of new clothes, if you will, the, the positive aspect of this. What do these clothes look like, and what is their purpose? Well, first of all, there's a renewal that happens. It starts at conversion. When we first believe, and it continues on in this present life until we're glorified and with our Savior. It's a renewal of our mind, a mind that was once driven by selfish passions. It is now consumed with God's glory in the service and in the service to our neighbor. This new self, as we see in verse 24, was created. If you know Jesus, God created a new person. When I was 17 years old, a new Daniel Weaver was created. The old selfish, self-centered person died and a new one became. Though the old man of selfish ambition still hangs around. Hence, we have the command for all of us to put to death that ever-present zombie. And what is the repurposing of this new man? What was he created for? To replicate the likeness of God. To walk in his characteristics. To display to the world what God is like. And what is God like? He is holy and righteous. So the new man pursues holiness and righteousness, motivated by love for God and driven by, powered by his sheer grace, not merely human effort. And again, the effort is there, but is aided and powered by his grace through the Holy Spirit. The old man, the old self must be shed. That's springtime right now, but summertime is, is coming. And we'll, in Alabama especially, quickly approach. I used to, well, I actually still do. You look in the trees and you find cicada shells. I call them cicada shells. You see them in trees. They're stuck in there on leaves and branches. It looks like a real insect. It's creepy. And, of course, what do you do with these shells? You you put them on people's shoulders and they, they turn around and they start panicking and That's what I do. Uh, Because it looks like the real thing. It's just a a dead outer skin. 
But you know what I've never seen in my whole life? A live cicada coming back to its old, sh- old shell, getting inside it again, and then flying away. No, he puts off the dead and flies away. On a less humorous note, you want to know one of the worst things that you can find in your yard, even worse, in your garage? And I've found them on both occasions. And it's something almost as bad as the real thing. Snakeskin. All I have to know is that a snake's been there and and I'm done. I'm not going back to that side again because I know that snake's been there and he'll probably come back. Now, I I don't know this from personal observation because I don't like to get close to snakes. But I can imagine snakes don't slither back into their old skin, get back in it, and then slither away. I'm going to conjecture that that's not the case. These animals don't go back and live in their dead skin. Likewise, Christians should not go back to their dead ways, ways they lived in before they knew Jesus. The old self. What part of your old self still lingers? This pride poke out when you don't get the due which you think you are owed? Does gossip rear its ugly head when you see that person leave and you're dying to tell someone something that you heard about them? Does envy slither in when someone else is recognized for something great and no one really remembers that you had any part of it? Don't think the dead man is only living on the outside, too. The rotting corpse is still functioning inside your mind and will. You may not act it out, but you are still living with death in your mind and heart. And as you notice in verses 17 through 24, these aren't necessarily actions. They are mindsets and thoughts. So don't say you have no sin. Life as a Christian is a life of continual repentance. Just like Martin Luther said in his first thesis of the 95 Thesis, when the Lord said repent, he meant that the whole life of a Christian is a life of repentance, mortification of sin, killing the dead man daily. Repentance is the continual putting to death the old man by confession and putting on the new. And that leads us to the next section, the recreation to the new self. Look at verses 25 through 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice." Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, 
forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. The recreation to the new self. Now Paul gets into the practicalities of everyday life here with almost several, almost bullet-pointed commands here. All of them involve the putting off and the putting on. First he says, put away falsehood. Okay, simple enough. Don't lie to each other. But listen to this, he doesn't stop there. The putting off is only half the job. No, he then says, speak the truth with one another. Now, your, your opinion is not the truth. What's a popular phrase today is uh, my truth. Have you ever heard that phrase, my, that's my truth? No one has possession of the truth but God. It's not mine. I own an opinion, but I don't own the truth. And what is this truth that Paul is specifically talking about here? Well, it's that which aligns with God's word. You speak the words of God's, uh, speak the truths of God's word to each other. Not truth in a general sense, but what is contained in Scripture. Encouraging one another with these words. Next, he commands us to be angry and sin not. It's good to clarify, anger is not a bad thing. God is described as angry, so it is not bad in and of itself. It's just what should draw anger. Sinful anger is consumed with me not getting what I want. Righteous anger is seeing injustice being done and being upset about it. Seeing someone needlessly hurt and someone who did it is unrepentant. This is wrong. This is sinful. We should hate it. Just like God hates and is angry with all sin. Sin not speaks of uncontrolled anger. It is self-centered anger. Anger of which Christ never did display. Although we know that he did indeed get angry. But notice there are some other qualifications here. Don't let the sun go down on it. It is to be reconciled immediately with the brother and sister in Christ. Done in a cool manner, not belligerently. And it's not to go on. So if you have an issue with someone over something that is worth having an issue over, an issue of an injustice, a wrong, then you go immediately to them. You don't sit on it for weeks and months. You don't take part of the Lord's Supper with bitterness towards your brother. Because as we see in verse 27, it will be taken over by Satan. It will become a demonic anger. And temptation, if given time, will come. Well, next, another bullet point almost. He tells thieves to stop stealing. Okay, well, we we don't have any thieves here, do we? So, I mean, that doesn't really apply to us. So how does this apply? Well, if you recall in the Thessalonian church, from uh, First and Second Thessalonians, you have several individuals within the church that were bumming off the church, if you will. Taking and not giving. Taking food and money and not working. Paul tells the church not to associate with these folks. Now this can apply to consumers in the church. They like what the church gives, but don't serve and don't give. They are, in essence, thieving. 
Consumerism is a form of theft. So not only put a stop to that, but he tells them to do something. Not just put off the old, but put on the new. He says, essentially, work. And work, and why work? What is the purpose? What is the end goal to spend on your own pleasures? No. So that you can give. So that you would have something to share with someone. Not for you and your own individual interests, but for someone else. Not for your mouth alone, but for someone else's. And then Paul goes back to speech. He says, let no corrupt talk come from your mouth. So innuendos, vulgarities, put-downs, gossips. Gossiping fits here. Braggadocia fits here. Okay, the old self. What does it do? What do we put on? Speech for building up of one another. So ask yourself, is what I'm saying, is this building up my brother or sister in the Lord? How does this encourage my brother or sister in the Lord? And as we see in the end of verse 29, it is a good word at a proper time, and it gives grace to the hearer. You know, I'm so blessed when, when people encourage me. Aren't you encouraged when, when people uh, say encouraging words to you? Now, this is... Uh, it's not flattery. Flattery is actually would function under corrupt talk. No truthful encouragements in the Lord. Not you are so great and wonderful, but you know I, I really see the Lord working in your life. I see evidences of God's grace in your life. And as a Christian, what greater compliment can I have? It's not. It, it actually brings glory and honor to my Lord and Savior. Then you have this statement, and then do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And then he explains one of the primary works of the Spirit. He sealed us for the day of redemption, the day we look forward to the resurrection. But this statement, notice, this statement has a connective and, and it connects to what he just said about our speech. Look at verses 29 and 30 again. He says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Spirit is connected to our speech. The Holy Spirit, is a, this is important, the Holy Spirit is a person we can grieve. He's not a force. He has a distinct person of the Godhead. And why does our unholy speech grieve the Spirit? Because as we see from the whole letter of Ephesians, the Spirit is the one who unites us as a body. He's the one who unites us as his church. Unholy speech brings division within the church. Holy speech increases unity in the body. Next, Paul tells us to put away bitterness, which, in other words, uh, stale, old, unforgiveness. Put away wrath and anger, which is, again, belligerent, selfish, fury, clamor, which is emotional fits of anger, slander, which, again, is vengeful talk, 
about someone that is untrue. And all of this is accompanied by the cutting off of malice, evil intentions. So straightforward denunciations here. It doesn't need a whole lot of explanation, just for all of us, hard to practice. But then again, he adds the putting on. Not just the putting off, but the putting on. Be tenderhearted. Be forgiving. Be kind to one another. Again, this is straightforward, but how is this different? How is this different from a secular fellowship? I mean, the world says be kind to one another. The world says forgive one another. This sounds just kind of like bland moralism. We'll look at the, at the end of verse 32. And this is the statement that kind of sanctifies these commands here, shows them the foundation. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. It can no longer be looked as bland moralism. Why? It says, as God and Christ forgave you. Now, that's a different mindset. That forces us to reflect on Christ's forgiveness for us. Christ is kind to us and dying for us. He forgave us our sin. We profaned him, yet he gave us forgiveness. We were unrighteous, but yet he has declared us righteous through faith in him. Now, with all this, we reflect that in the culture of the church. The new self must take over the old self daily. Now, my daughter loves, loves to change clothes throughout the day. My son is like me. He can wear the same thing every day for days. He puts on his cozy pajamas, and he won't change. Even, even to go out and play outside and dig out in the yard, he'll wear the same thing. But my daughter is not like that. She will not wear something continuously. She constantly wants to change. She, we will put something on her in the morning, and then an hour later, she'll get something out of her drawer and bring it out to us. We will change her. And then soon she'll bring out another outfit. And it's a continuous process with her in changing clothes. She takes off the old clothes, usually throwing one on the floor, and then puts on new ones. This is the Christian life. You are continuously putting off the old clothes and putting on the new. It's not a one-time action. It is continual putting off the old self and putting on the new. It's a daily, hour by hour, minute by minute thing. It's our sanctification. Now our justification, our righteousness before God is unchangeable because of faith. So don't make any mistake of that. Justification is an instantaneous declaration that this person is mine. A declaration that we are righteous before God in his sight through faith in him alone. But our growing in the Lord is through the putting off and the putting on.
So do you see any of these old self-tendencies as Paul has described in you? Is your mouth a big problem with you? Do you speak crudely, lyingly, gossipy? When was the last time you gave an encouraging word to someone? Do you struggle with anger and you know it's not one of the holy kind? You think in the midst of it that you are justified in your anger, but as you cool down and think about it, you know it's wrong. Do you come to church to serve or to be served? To get something out or to give something? Again, consumerism is, is a form of thievery, and it's really a form of idolatry. Idolatry is, a, in essence, a worship of self, a God made in your own image. But, but listen to this. With all these, Christ died for these sins of ours. He gives us the strength to overcome these in the Christian life. So we can only, only do battle in his strength. Not in the pulling up of our own bootstraps, but it is only by the power and grace of the Holy Spirit that we can do this. Now, as you read this list, you may look at this list and say, Daniel, all of this describes me. I have lied. I've been angry. I've stolen. I've slandered, etc., etc. Is there any hope for me? Is there any hope of eternal life for me? Is there any hope of heaven for me? Yes and no. In and of yourself, you are without hope, so no. You are a sinner underneath the righteous wrath of God, so no. In and of yourself, no hope. But here is the hope. Here is the yes. God in Christ came as a man and bore our sin on the cross. He was our perfect substitute. He rose from the grave and he reigns on high. You must confess him as Lord and Savior, believing in what he did on the cross in order for you to be saved. That is your only hope. He is your only hope. So what are you trusting in for your salvation? Good works? Well, you're doomed. Giving money to a ministry? Still doomed. A ritual you did 15 years ago? Still doomed. But placing your faith in Christ's death and resurrection alone, saved, sealed, and given eternal life. If you've trusted Christ today for salvation, please come talk to me or one of the elders here at the service. But better yet, talk to your neighbor in the pew next to you or someone who may have invited you here. Talk to them about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be saved, what it means to have eternal life. And they'll gladly share the good news of Christ. And you can be saved and know him. If you have come to Christ, you've gone from the old man, the old creation, to a new creation. So we see in Ephesians 4, 17 through 32, that as those redeemed from the old self, we must by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, put away the ways of the old self and put on the ways of the new. By the power, by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, put off 
the ways of your old self and put on the ways of the, the new. Daily changing those clothes, shedding that old snakeskin. You know, this passage, like the, the rest of this letter, is written to the church, to the assembly. The assembly of saints. It's not written to an individual. So as we seek to daily shed the old man together, we do it together. Not merely individually. So what will help with the shedding of these things together? Confessing our sins to one another. A lot of us are too proud to follow this biblical command, but it is essential for the Christian life. So do do you have anyone here or a group here that you can confess your sins to? Do you talk to someone about your spiritual struggles together? Do you have someone or some people that you can say, you know, I've been really struggling with anger lately. Can you pray for me? Or I've been trying to put to death lust in my life. Do you have any advice as to overcome this overwhelming sin? Or maybe, maybe you can be that encourager for someone saying, you know, I've gone through the same thing. I used to gossip and talk. I used to gossip and talk about people all the time. And and Lord really convicted me when I was reading his word. And uh, I still every now and then struggle with it, but it's, it's much better. You have someone you could talk to about these things. Confessing our sins to one another. Encouraging one another. We have to remember the Christian life is a corporate life. There are individual parts to it, so don't misunderstand, but it is primarily a corporate life. Confess your sins to one another. Then we can encourage one another and grow in unity with one another. Locking arms and the putting off of the old man and putting on the new, which is the image of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for your word, thankful for how you shape us and mold us as a church. Lord, help us to walk in continual repentance, walk in continual confession of our sins to one another, walk in continual encouragement to one another. Lord, you have chosen this way of sanctifying your church, Lord. You could have. You could have just immediately not just declared us righteous, but made us immediately in the perfect image of Christ. But you chose this way of which to work through your church that you would be most glorified in the reshaping, the remolding of a dead and rebellious people to the image of your son. Thankful for this day. Thankful for your word. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.